revamped Matt Bernier show. Uh, this is for Monday, May the 18th, 2020. However, you're listening to this thing. Thank you for doing so. A number of ways to find this podcast. If you listen audio only, you have inthemoneypodcast.com. You also have the the places that you find your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Android, any other spots. There's a million places where you can find this thing. If you are one of the folks that listens to this on YouTube, like I know some of you do, all you need to do, head on over to YouTube in that search bar, type in Matt Bernier Show. It'll pop up the latest episode. Click on that. But if you do listen on YouTube, um, please subscribe to the In The Money channel, as well as my personal channel, Matt Bernier, and make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way, anything that gets uploaded, you're going to get a notification that there's a new episode or a new video or whatever the case may be. Then you can go right over there and listen to it. I've said it a number of times. If I'm in here or even if I'm just doing whatever it is on, on the computer, I typically have something else playing in the background. You know, it's not my my phone's podcast version of it, but I can, you know, pull up a window, have something playing in the background, listen to it, whatever the case may be. So I know many of you do that as well. Uh, if you do that, though, make sure you subscribe. And however you're listening, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be on YouTube, but also if you're listening in the podcast apps, rate, review, subscribe, the whole nine. You know the drill by now. All greatly appreciated for this week's episode. Um, Going to be a little bit different where from a racing standpoint, won't be a ton. At, at the very end, we'll call it this weekend in racing. Um, we'll decide, you know, talk about Monomoid Girl, discuss Bellafina, and then maybe some other interesting horses that earn some interesting figs and, and maybe maybe there's a potential for them down the road to turn into something significant. But as far as like a deep dive into racing goes, nothing just yet. But boy, I feel like this is the calm before the storm because now it sounds like New York is on the horizon in the next few weeks. Hopefully they'll be getting going at Belmont Park. And you can see that the racing landscape is starting to expand again, which is a welcome, welcome sign and sight for all of us that are fans and players. And just in general, it's good to start getting things moving along again. So um, there'll be plenty more as far as racing specific things are concerned going forward, going through analyzing performances and all that. But for this week, we'll update the pick history. We'll dive into the, the parameters of the $100 challenge. Those of you that commented and made suggestions, thank you so much. There was one in particular that I was really taken by, and I made a little bit of a tweak to it. Uh, but I'll dive into the, the details of that. And if you feel like playing along, that's part of the reason I made $100, where it's not an insignificant amount of money. Don't get me wrong. I know $100 for some folks is a ton of money, but $100 is at least, you know, we're not dealing with 1000 or 5000 or anything like that. 100 bucks. let's see what we can do with it. I like the parameters set forth. And again, I'll dive into all the details of that. And if you feel like playing along, not suggesting play along with my picks, but if you want to play on your own, I think this is a great opportunity for all of us to just sort of compare and contrast and just have some fun with it over however long this thing takes. And I, you know, I've mentioned Twitter. I, I see many things on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Make sure that you're following along over there. But things can get lost in there. Comments, questions and things like that, just because there's so much there's so much that goes into that. Beneath the video player on YouTube, I love again, I said it last week, it's turned into a bit of a forum. Thirty five more comments last week's episode. It, it's a much clearer and a much a much more contained area for us to sort of bounce things back and forth. And I, I love the, the interaction that we've had so far. And if anyone wants to dive into this $100 challenge, I'm going to start it probably on Wednesday. Um, feel free to, to play along and, and weekly I'll, I'll try to update it. And again, we'll, we'll dive into all the nuts and bolts after that. Uh, we'll go over the Q&A for this weekend. Like I said, this weekend in racing, that'll kind of wrap things up. 
for this episode. For, uh, housekeeping, next Monday will not be, uh, there won't be an episode on Monday because it's Memorial Day. I'll record on Tuesday. Hopefully it's up Tuesday night. At the latest, it would be up on Wednesday next week. So just FYI, get that on your radar if you're looking for it on Monday and it doesn't pop up. Uh, so let's go into it. The updated pick history. Uh, we'll start with this sample size. I didn't really put too many plays out there last week. Only 120, uh, I shouldn't say only. I think I only put out four for last week. Uh, from the last time the pod came up, 127 is the sample size at this point. One of the things I'm most proud of, not just that both sets of numbers are both in the black and positive, but the average odds of the horses that I've given out thus far are 7.91 to 1. So we're not dealing with all chalk and we're not dealing with impossible long shots, you know, 30 to 1 bombers time and time again. I feel like it's a good blend. It's a good mix. And ultimately, the average ends up being 7.91 to 1. From a win standpoint, again, from 127 sample size, 20% winners, a $2.40 ROI. That's a plus 20% uh, number as far as the ROI is concerned. You would have wagered $254. You would have had $305.60 returned. From a win play show standpoint, 50% with a $2.10 ROI. That's a 5% ROI overall. Uh, $762 wagered, $797.60 returned. You know, I, I keep going back to the percentages being a little bit lighter than I would expect. The win percentage I would expect to be up closer to the 22-23 range. The win play show up into that 55-56% range. So they're both definitely trending lower than what I'm typically accustomed to them being. But at the same time, how much can I complain if the ROIs are both positive? I, I'm hopeful those numbers will still get bumped up. I keep saying it over and over again, talking about where the picks will eventually land. It's supposed to begin this week, but I can't publicly say it here in the pod. So I'm hopeful Wednesday is going to be the day that the ball is rolling. And if you're curious about it and you want to know before next Monday or excuse me, next Tuesday's pod, follow along on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, because I will be tweeting things and retweeting things, assuming we do get launched off the ground uh, this week as scheduled. So that's where the public picks will end up landing. That doesn't mean that the public picks will be the only ones as far as the $100 challenge is concerned, but that's where the vast majority of those plays will come from. Um, so that's the updated numbers as far as those are concerned. And if anyone is curious and you want to see the, you know, the actual screenshots of the, the, the spreadsheets that I work off of that show the entire rundown, I mean, and that's always been one of the things too, I'm waiting for, for look, you know, I feel like it's like anything else. For the most part, it's 99% fun and good folks. And then you get the 1% of dinks that just, you know, they end up coming through and throwing shade here and there. I'm waiting for someone to be like, oh, prove it. Well, the good news is with it being all public, you can, if you really want, you can go back and scour all my, my Twitter feed. You can find all the, the horses. There were a couple from when I was out with TVG for, you know, different periods of time. But for the most part, it's all right there. So if you really wanted to, I mean, if, I hope you have better things to do than, than go through my own Twitter feed and try to find out whether it did or didn't check out. But if you're curious, I'm sure there is a way for me to end up posting some sort of a screenshot or, I mean, I guess I could give you the file, but then I'm sure people would think it's a virus and all this other crap. But neither here nor there. The point is, I can check it out for you if you'd like to see it, if you're curious. But for the most part, that's what we're dealing with. Those are the numbers uh, for the pick history at this point. Now, let's dive into the $100 challenge. Again, a number of good suggestions, interesting suggestions, people talking about multi-race wagers, talking about making it a weekly or a weekend piece, you know, bet make sure that you bet half of the bankroll. 
have it go through Del Mar and Saratoga, have it go into the Breeders' Cup, have it be open-ended. So many different sort of, you know, permutations of what it could look like. There was one, though, that I was really interested in, and I think as far as the pot is concerned and from a long-term standpoint, something that we can do weekly, I think this is the one that lends itself most to that. And the suggestion came from Bruce Meyer. You can follow him on Twitter, at Oracle65, a very, very accomplished handicapper in his own right. Uh, he's had major success, you name it. Online contests, live events, you name it. So a very accomplished handicapper and someone that's very, very smart and astute. I'm going to give you the, the vast majority of what Bruce's suggestions were, and then I'll also sort of throw in the tweaks and ultimately land on what we were talking about. Uh, first, his idea for the goal is to turn $100, the starting bankroll, over 20 times. So churn through that initial 100 20 times. Ultimately, the goal is to push through $2,000 without going bust. And I like that idea because it's not necessarily something that is going to happen overnight. You would hope not. But it's also not an, a, a, a goal that is way out in left field. It's not trying to turn 100 into 10 grand. It's just turning it over 20 times. So that could end up being break even. That could be $100. It could end up being, you know, we, I could finish the challenge with $2. But if I pushed it through 20 times, so I've ultimately wagered, two grand, again, I guess technically that would be mission accomplished. The goal is to do that, win bets only. Bruce's suggestion was $10 maximum bets. The only thing that I am going to tweak as far as that is concerned is that I had someone on Twitter ask me what they would suggest as far as how much to bet depending on bankroll and things like that. You can find in Barry Meadows' book, he has a chart, depending on what your bankroll is, of what he suggests, um, you know, the, the max that you should bet on whatever the odds are for whatever horse you're going to be playing. I'm going to make it, for me, for this, just a much more basic, flat number. And some folks would say this is a little bit on the aggressive side. I think it's right sort of in the sweet spot. Some people would say 3% is the sweet spot. 5% becomes a little bit too aggressive. 2% is not aggressive enough. I'm going to go with 4%. So whatever the bankroll is with any of these, and they're only going to be win bets, 4% at a time will be wagered on an individual horse. So whatever the first horse I identify for this challenge is going to be on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it is, it'll be 4% of that $100. So it'll be $4 win bet. And the idea is I'm going to keep churning through with that 4% in a perfect world, unless I go completely ice cold, which is possible, 4% is going to be difficult to go bust with too quickly. But at the same time, if I catch a couple prices, that 4% can very quickly change. And again, the 4% depends on what the total bank is. So if all of a sudden I'm down to $40, you know, 4% of that is going to be an entirely different number than it would be at 100 or at 200. At 200 to 4% would be an $8 win bet. So it's going to be 4% of whatever the bankroll is at any given time. And it needs to continue to adjust. And the idea is we're going to try to turn that $100 over 20 times. And I think the other thing that's good about the idea of turning it over 20 times and also the 4% as far as a number is concerned for the wagers is, in theory, this is something that could that could last us quite a long time. I don't, I don't necessarily envision this thing wrapping up, for better or for worse, in a week. 
for a month even. I mean, I guess it technically could be a month if I really just go ice, ice cold. Uh, and the good news is I can just fire it up again. But I think it's a good, it, it also doesn't put any sort of stipulation or, you know, I have to bet X amount per week. You know, the 4% idea is, you know, it's 4% if I make one play this week or I make 15 plays this week. It's not that I have to hit some sort of a benchmark. And some other folks brought up betting half the bankroll and things like that. The difficulty or the problem with betting half the bankroll at a time is you don't even really have to have a, a tremendous cold streak. If you're betting half or 25% of the time, you're going to go broke pretty quick. I mean, you if, if you bet 25% at a time at, let's say, $100 is the base, you know, I get it. If, if you connect with a five to one shot at 25 bucks to win, obviously the the sort of life is a little bit better but in the grand scheme of things that 25 bucks you're eating up a lot of your capital at one time or your 25 percent with four percent i think it's a good learning exercise it goes to show what if you're trying to churn if you're someone like that that you know you're just trying to play along it and frankly that's typically what i am i'm not someone i, I i've had a couple of decent scores but i've never had and i'm not including contests from just strictly a, a, a betting standpoint, I'm not someone that's had these, you know, $100,000 scores on pick sixes. Because from a wagering standpoint, I've gone through it and said, you know what, as much as I enjoy a good pick five or a pick six carryover or whatever, whatever it is, my history would not suggest that that's necessarily a strength. I'm more interested in trying to do what I've done with the pick history and just say, you know what, let's just keep grinding. I want to have some action involved. And I'm not saying I don't play the multis or take shots and take swings here and there. And again, the contests, I'm not including them because, I've, you know, we've had a couple of good scores with those. But, you know, from a day in and day out standpoint, I'm typically just a win, occasionally win place. If I love two horses in a row or I really want to be alive to a bomb in the next race that I think might take a little bit of money, maybe I'll play a, a cold double, something like that. But for the most part, I'm just a, I'm a win bet kind of guy. So I think this is going to be a fun exercise. It's something that hopefully will last us a little while. Um and again, the good news is with the number being what it is, $100, if for some reason I just, you know, I, I can't get out of my own way and I go bust in three weeks or two weeks or however long it takes, it's $100. I can start over again and we can keep this sort of thing going as opposed to if we started at some giant number, if we started at $2,000 and I just go ice cold. You know, I, I'm not going to want to just keep firing away 2000 at a time. 100 bucks, you can just keep rolling through it. And I would strongly encourage, even if you don't do it on your own, let me know what your thoughts are about it overall, what you think about this overall sort of setup. Is it too conservative? Is it, you know, is it not sexy enough? Is it not something that's going to get everyone excited to pay attention to week in and week out? Um, I'm also going to throw the sort of caveat out there. I will tweet out the wagers. Now, again, uh, the, the deep sort of analysis of some selections, that's probably not going to happen much anymore as far as Twitter is concerned. You'll be able to find that elsewhere it'll typically be i would say probably between three and five at a time but from a the wager standpoint i will put those out there uh i i'm not going to say where i'm betting them through but there's a scenario where i can lock in certain odds uh, i will make that abundantly clear as well whatever the numbers are uh you know if i'm in at 12 to 1 or if i'm in at 5 to 1 or if i'm in at 2 to 1 um or if I play, you know, there's just, I'll, I'll make it clear whatever the number ended up being and how much was bet on. I'm not going to take screenshots of anything or anything like that, but I'll keep track of it all. I'll put it into the spreadsheet similarly to the way that I've done it with the pick history. And I'll talk about it every week here on the podcast and go over that and update it. So 
That's what the $100 challenge looks like. I'll probably do some silly thing like the hashtag $100 challenge. And if you're interested, please play along, or at the very least, let me know for better or for worse, if you enjoy the idea, if you think it's going to be, not only is it going to be fun, but are you going to gain anything out of it? Are you going to, is it going to be educational, or is this going to be a, seg a piece of the, the pod every week that you just like, let's fast forward through it. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Just for the sake of uploading, we're going to take a quick little break here. We'll come back. We'll do the Q&A. We'll dive into this past weekend as far as racing is concerned. All right, Q&A time. And you, you would think by now, I've only been doing podcasts and little shows like this for what, the better part of four and a half, five years. You would think I have the microphone thing figured out by now, but producer Craig, he's going to work his magic with that opening segment. So if the audio is a little bit different, it's on me. Screwed it up again. Happens much more often than it should. I digress. Q&A segment this week. Uh, going to dive into four different comments uh, from four different folks. Questions, comments, all that jazz. And again, as usual, beneath the video player on YouTube is going to be the easiest way for me to get a look at it and really be able to do a deep dive. Not that Twitter doesn't, you know, not that I don't see it, but again, Twitter can get lost in the anything and everything. So we'll start off down here. Let's go to, uh, let's see. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Let's start with Scotty McMichael. One of Scotty's uh, comments, hey Matt, I saw your tweet a couple weeks ago about American horses you wished had run on the turf. I know he doesn't typically run his horses on the grass, but I'd love to see Baffert try Roadster on the turf at some point. I think he has the kind of instantaneous acceleration needed to excel on the grass. Just wanted to hear your thoughts. Thanks. First, Scotty, thank you for the comments. Uh, I'm going to pull up, and this is going to be a little bit of an on-the-fly piece here. I'm going to pull up Roadster's PPs and see from a pedigree standpoint, because I agree with you, he's the kind of horse... The way that he runs, it seems like, I'm willing to say at this point in his career, he is a 7 eighths type. He is a horse that doesn't have a tremendous amount of early speed, and he does his best running late. Now, the concern just with sort of the, the blanket statement of saying that that instantaneous late finish from him would, would particularly translate to the grass, the concern there is it's I, I've said it before and, and Maybe I haven't done a good job of explaining it. Dirt and turf are run in two entirely different ways. Dirt races are run at their fastest early, and they are, it's a continuous slowdown on dirt. The horses that are coming from the back in dirt races, they're not actually running faster. They're not, they're not increasing their, their rate of speed. They're just slowing down slower than everyone else. And that's the reason that they, part of that is the reason that they're coming from the back is that they don't have necessarily the, the, the gifted early abilities that some of the other horses do. They can just sort of stay at, at a more sustained level for a longer period of time where those horses that are gifted with that brilliance early on, they're really slowing down at the end. And it's an optical illusion. It's not that the horses from the back are necessarily, and look, I get it. There are unique instances you know, I think of a horse like Keen Ice. He, he genuinely seemed to actually run faster as the race went on. But he was running, you know, I'm making it up 24 or 25 second quarters just kind of continuously. 
Whereas at the very end, everybody else in those races were running 26 and a half, 27. It's an optical illusion. He's making up those lengths, but it's not because he's going faster. It's because everyone else is just slowing down at a quicker, more accelerated rate than he is. With a horse like Roadster on turf, turf, they genuinely go slow early and sprint home late. So the, the dirt to turf piece, some of the horses that I would intri- I'm interested in seeing or I wish I could have seen on turf, it had more to do with their running style on dirt. And thinking that they could con- kind of sustain that sort of that sort of pace, so I brought up a horse like Gormley. I brought up a horse like American Pharaoh. Um, Orb was probably a bad example for this instance because he was a horse that he wasn't really gifted with early pace, so he would have needed to actually have a turn of foot at the end. But with those other two that I, I met, and I brought up Keen Ice, obviously, but with the, the main two that I was talking about, American Pharaoh and Gormley. They were both forward horses. They were horses that had early speed on dirt. And I think there, there's a scenario where I've, I've talked about a horse like Teppin and a horse like Wise Dan in the past. You know, I could even throw a horse like, he wasn't quite as good as those two, but a horse like uh, Midnight Storm on turf. If you can be forward and you can open up, especially on turf because everyone runs so slow early on, if you can build a six-length cushion, And maybe you don't kick the same way that the horses from the back do, but if you still have some sort of a a finish at the end, it's going to be very difficult for them to run you down as opposed to some of these other horses on grass that they go out there and they just don't have that late punch. They can set the pace, but they end up, you know, kind of just falling by the wayside when the real running starts. These other horses that have kind of separated themselves with the tactical ability to be forward and still have a little bit left in the tank. I feel like a horse like American Pharaoh, no surprise at all, he probably would have been able to do that. It's it's part of the same reason that California Chrome was able to do that because he had the ability to be forward and still have some finish left where the horse is coming from the back. Maybe they were punching on better at the end, but they had so much ground to make up that it was just, it was impossible for them to go and get it done. And I know we only saw Chrome one time on the turf, but that's, you know, I envision a similar scenario or a similar situation based on the pedigree and their running style that an American Pharaoh or even a horse like Gormley would have potentially sort of transferred over to the turf. So talking about Roadster, you pull up the pedigree. I see Quality Road. I see um, I see Silver Ghost on the bottom. I'm not particularly uh, not particularly uh, familiar with with that sort of breeding on the bottom half as far as just the immediate look is concerned. But if you do a little bit of a deeper dive, uh, you'll find some interesting and compelling arguments for this, for a horse like this trying the turf. And you're right, Baffert, this is typically, if I see Baffert on grass, it's a red flag, plain and simple. I, I As brilliant as the man is as a trainer, if there's a horse on grass, regardless of the pedigree, I'm, I am really, really wary because it's just not his thing. He's just not a turf trainer. When you take a look and see the dam, She's produced uh, a pretty well-known turf runner named Ascend. Ascend won the grade one Manhattan. He won the Henry Clark stakes, which is an unlisted stakes race. Um, So, I mean, there's definitely, as far as the immediate family on the bottom is concerned, there is a little bit of pedigree. The dam was a stakes winner as well, ghost dancing. So, okay, that part at least checks a little bit of the box if you're looking for some sort of pedigree uh, on the, uh, the turf side of things. If I pull up... Let's see if we can get some info on Quality Road as far as a turf sire is concerned and what his influence has been so far. Quality Road, I will say, he was one of those horses that early on 
I was, I don't want to say concerned, but I was just like, eh, what, you know, what's he ultimately going to turn into? I think he's turned into a really, really nice sire. It feels like, it feels like anyway, and again, I'm not, uh, I don't want to just be painting with a super broad brush, but it feels like he is more of a dirt sire, dirt stallion. But again, that's just me kind of spitballing here. And I probably should have pulled this part up a little bit earlier than I did. Um, but bear with me here. Let me see if we can find a quality road kicking around here somewhere in one of these PPs. Let's pull this up here. Let's do this. So from the bottom standpoint, I don't see any sort of issue. I just, I do, I'm always going to be a little bit curious about how, how is a horse like that going to transition or could possibly transition over to the uh, turf? Let's see if we got a quality road, quality road, quality road. Here we go. Quality road as far as the grass is concerned. Thus far to date, his first time grass runners are right around 11%, 31 for 291 overall. But as a whole, 186 for 1348. So off the top of my head, that's that's going to be a, what is that, 12%? 186 divided by 1348. 13 and a half, almost 14%. So it's not bad. There's, there is definitely reason to believe that a horse like this, if they're looking for a reason or looking for something to change up with him, because I mean, it's been a minute since he won a race. He hasn't won since the Santa Anita Derby last year. Um, I just, I get the feeling that he's a one turn type. I mean, if, to me, his best races so far have come going one turn. Um, he also doesn't look like he's improved at all from, even heck, I can say even early on as a two-year-old, he hasn't really gotten, you know, appreciably better over the course of the past two years. So I, I got to be honest, I don't think it would be a, a wild idea, but at the same time, now, also to be fair, I have not, he has not worked since the beginning, uh, his last race, at least that I have published. So I don't know what the story is. Uh, hopefully everything is okay, but I, he's an interesting sort of candidate. If you're looking for a horse to like, you know what? Something's not right. Let's try to change it up a little bit. He does have enough turf pedigree that maybe that would be an interesting sort of uh, experiment with a horse like that. Let's move on to Faith Moss. Uh, Faith Moss, uh, the, the quote or the question here is, uh, your horse racing insights and the clarity with which you express them are terrific, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you, Faith. Uh, I listened to each edition of your show multiple times during the week and almost always find a little tidbit to complement my own handicapping methods. I personally try to restrict my prime bets to turf routes because my hit rate is the best there. Smart move. If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If that is what you are best at, try to find those sort of races and stick to those. Doesn't mean you can't play the other ones, but if, if those are the races that you excel on, stick with those as far as your legitimate bets are concerned. Uh, there are some jockeys I can't rely on on the grass. How often do you get off a horse you like because of jockey doubts? Thank you for the comment, Faith. Um, it doesn't happen often. I'm, I'm not someone that is deep, deep into the, the jockey situation, especially at some of the larger, in some of the larger jurisdictions, whether it is a, a New York uh, during the summer, obviously Saratoga, whether it is Gulfstream during the winter, um, Southern California, you know, Southern California, the, the jockey colony doesn't change too, too much. New York and Florida, it feels kind of like it's an all-star colony, no matter what. There are certain riders, though, I think you need to be cognizant of doing different things. So if I've got a speed horse and and don't don't take this the wrong way, I'm not I'm not 
criticizing any of the riders, but certain riders are better at certain things. The same way, Faith, you just mentioned that your best at sort of your prime bets are only for turf routes. I think certain riders are best at certain things. Uh, when it comes to a speed horse, if, if a rider like, well, let's let's use an obvious one, like Luis Saez. I think he's a good gate rider. I think Saez can get a horse out of the gate in good order, uh, especially if there's pace involved, you want to push along. I think a rider like Julian Leperu is a good pace rider, but I don't know that he's necessarily the rider I would want on a confirmed speedball. If he's allowed to get out on the front end in a grass race, and at that point I feel like he has a very good internal clock. And he can wait, he can wait, he can wait, and he can he can understand the difference between going too fast on the front end and being able to kind of walk the dog and, and take advantage of it. I think he's good at that sort of riding. But you know, if it's a six furlong dirt race, I would much rather someone like Saez over a Leperu. That doesn't mean that I'm gonna get off the horse. The the point is there are very few riders to me that I am going to look at and just immediately throw the horse out because I just don't, I don't trust the rider. The, I, what I will say is there are a number of very, very young riders that I'll at least look at. And I have seen more and more as more time has gone on and I've watched more racing. Some of the apprentices are still, they're learning, they're apprentices, they're figuring things out. That, and I understand a lot of folks will look at it and say, well, there's a reason that the, tra the trainers use bugs because they get the weight break and, and this, that, and the other. And, and that may, you know, there, there may be truth to that. But I look at, I see some of the rides from some of the bugs and it, it's, I, I think it's simply just inexperience. So that's that, I, I will say, that's a time when I'm starting to look at it a little bit more. And I won't, I won't get off of a horse that an apprentice is on, but I, it, it is still a, a number situation where if all of a sudden the horse is four to one, and I'm not, it's, it's a, it happened recently. Um, I liked a horse that was a shortish price. The horse was parked four wide the whole way around. You know, I'd like to see maybe a more seasoned rider and what they could do with the horse in a $65,000 maiden claimer, you know, but, but I, I, it's not a criticism of the, the kid riding They're They're learning. So I, I won't say that I'm, I would get off. I think price always needs to be the guide. I mean, if you really have a, a rider that you just despise, you know, that's a personal thing. I don't have any one rider that I look at and, and draw a line through the horse because at the end of the day, it's horse racing. Um, yes, some riders are better than others at certain things, just as certain handicappers are better than others at certain things, as certain baseball players, as certain pitchers are better as far as command and control are concerned than others, while others can, you know, light up the radar gun and other guys have to rely on control and accuracy. I, I, I won't draw a line through anyone, but I do at least recognize that certain men and women are better at certain things than others. Um, I don't know if that totally answers your question, Faith, but that's, that's, that's the way that I'll look at it. I won't get off any one horse because of who's riding, but I will at least factor in all the other variables to, to make some sort of a determination on what I think. Uh, Steve Close, or Klaus, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Steve. Uh, sorry for the naivety, naivete. Um, I'm from the UK, workouts. Below people are talking about watching them. Where is this possible? I assume workouts are training sessions in the morning. Yes, workouts are 
the horses in the mornings going to the track, whether it's just for a little bit of a jog, but typically a workout, we're talking about a drill, whether it's a half mile, whether it's a three-eighths blowout, whether it's a three-quarter work, whatever the case may be. Most of when we talk about being able to watch them, uh, a service like XBTV, you can go right on over there. Uh, typically, we're dealing with Paul Meadows, Santa Anita, a little bit from New York. Uh, you can go there. They will have video of many runners, not all of them, but many runners, um, certainly your bigger names, uh, some of the, the more well-known trainers and the well-known horses. You can go over there, type in their name in the search bar, and you'll be able to see uh, what the horses are doing in the morning, who they're working with in some instances, and things of that nature. So um, it's definitely, uh, I find it, an inter at the very least, an interesting exercise to go over and see who's working with who, because as we spoke about in the Horse Players Happy Hour a couple of weeks ago, for the morning, for the clocker reports and things like that, I'm much more interested in knowing who they're working with and who is working the horse than necessarily the time. Time, fine. You know, some guys work their horses really quick and some don't. I would rather know who they're working with and what those horses are capable of and are they keeping up? Are they not keeping up? Whatever that may be. So, Steve, if you're curious, head on over to XBTV.com. You'll be able to dabble in that a little bit. Uh, and we'll wrap up with John Peruso. And, and I'm going to wrap up with John's comment because I, I think this is one that I want to hear everyone else's opinions as well. You know, last week uh, I showed sort of my my baseline as far as going into a race and what I look for, um, just sort of highlighting certain things and, and just kind of what I'm going through before I do a deep, deep dive. But that, the, the very sort of bare bones of the handicapping piece. John Peruso uh, comes here with a comment. My typical methodology in handicapping consists of, one, quotes, what do we got here? Meaning class conditions of the race, track surface, track condition. Two, review PPs of all horses to determine likely race flow. Three, deep dive on PPs slash info for each individual horse, including recent form, trainer stats, trainer patterns, class pedigree, performance on slash at the track surface or track. Maybe one too many tracks in there. Or track condition, I'm sorry. Again, error on my part. Uh, <laughs> four, how I see the race unfolding. Five, watch videos of past races. Six, identify track bias slash leanings based on running review of the last five days. Seven, watch the board slash odds for value in relation to opinion. John, I love the breakdown of it. This is a very similar way that I think I go through it. Very similar way that a number of people go through it. But the reason I wanted this to be the last one is because I, I do, I want to hear other people's. Give me, give me the the give me a, a an outline of how you go through a race. How long does it take? How how deep do you dive into certain things? Do you favor certain elements more so than others? You know, I'm one that once I get a feel for the numbers, I'd like to go then and watch replays. I'd like to see things, you know, I, you guys can take a wild guess what I do and don't like to see as far as replays and watching them are concerned. Um, John lays out his sort of formula quite well. I want to hear what everyone else's is. Beneath the video player on YouTube or even over on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, let me know because I think it's a fascinating thing. And I said it a few weeks ago, the minute you stop considering other people or, or stop trying to learn is when you're going to get passed by by the masses. I'm not saying... I'm not saying try to reinvent the wheel. If your wheel is rolling pretty true, I'm not saying reinvent it, but always be willing to try to reshape things a little bit. If you've got that clay, 
and you feel like something's missing a little bit, maybe we work on it over here. You know, you can reshape things as time goes by. And, and you know, it can be very, very minor things that for you can all of a sudden make your eyes open up and say, wait a minute. Honestly, um, and I believe it's Mike Somich, tremendous uh, handicap, handicapper in general, good tournament player. Uh, I believe he's part of the Racing Dudes uh, you can find their podcast uh, and you can find all of them on Twitter as well. Um, a, a number of people, and it may not even just be uh, the Chalkbuster, um, people chatting about, and it's something that I admittedly, I have not paid enough attention to, but I'm starting to see why some people are second time blinkers. I think we all, myself being a, a culprit of it, I, I get so tied up into, okay, well, first time with the, the equipment change, we're going to get a little bit of this, you know, try to try to draw conclusions. Well, because it's not necessarily, you know, in bold letters and whatever past performances you're using, second time blinkers, you think about it. Now the horse has had an opportunity in the afternoon to know what it's all about. You would imagine for the most part in workouts, the horse is now probably a little bit more accustomed and more used to the equipment change. Second time out with the blinkers. That's a move that admittedly I've probably been a little bit too lax on that I'm starting to see some folks connect with some decent prices with these. And I go, you know what, this, this isn't, we got something here. Always be willing to, to tweak your, your methodology. Like I said, I'm not saying, you know, tear it all down and start from scratch, but always be willing to, to be, be malleable, be willing to, to mold and move and, and squirm a little bit. Don't, don't be so stringent unless you're just printing money over there. And whatever you do is just, it's foolproof. If that's the case, God bless you. Keep doing it. But always be willing to, to tweak things a little bit here and there. And don't be afraid to, to change or listen to other people's ideas and adapt on the fly. So, John, thank you for the comment. And everyone else, I'm very curious. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. How do you go through a race, top to bottom? Some folks had commented on, on last week's about some of the things that they look for and whatnot. Give me a little bit of a bullet point. What's your sort of, what's your method going through not only a race, but a card? Let's say it's a Saturday at Churchill Downs or a Saturday at Belmont Park. How do you go through the whole thing? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie underscore Matt. Now, this past weekend in racing. Let's wrap up episode 15 with some talk this weekend in racing. What well, we went back and saw a couple of big girls that we are very, very familiar with. Also saw some horses that maybe are a little bit... Uh, I don't want to say late bloomers, but horses that have been maybe coming off of a lengthy layoff or testing themselves again, doing something a little bit different. Whatever the case may be, just a couple of names maybe you want to file away. First things first, the big girl, the biggest of the big girls, Monomoy girl. We hadn't seen her since 2018. She comes back to the races Saturday afternoon. First time on a wet track. She's going a mile at Churchill Downs. She's in between horses down the backside and even rounding the far turn. Florent Giroux at no point looks concerned, knows what he's got beneath him. When he gives her her head to angle out into the clear, she immediately responds. She is able to tip out. And when she goes for home, she does it very impressively. I thought all things considered, this was, this was about as good as you could have asked for as far as a return effort was concerned. And I'm sure some people will look at the numbers and say, ooh, you know, maybe there's reason to believe that she's not what she once was. She earned an 85 buyer and a raw 107 time form US rating. So the numbers seem to check out. I, I, To me, I look at a race like this and say, I don't need to know if she can run a 100 buyer right now. I need to find out if she can still run. 
at least remotely close visually to what she had done when we last saw her winning the Breeders' Cup this staff. Um, and I like that she showed that, you know what, she can not only can she still run, she can do it on a wet track, which she had never done before. So for me, this was the perfect return effort. I find it hard to believe she was, you know, dialed in, locked down for a race like this. I feel like this was, again, just trying to make sure that, A, she still wants to do it in the afternoon. You know, it's one thing to, to do it in the morning. It's another thing to do it actually in a race in the afternoon. She checked that box. I like that she wasn't headstrong or crazy coming off the lengthy layoff. She did everything that Flo wanted her to do. And she proved that a wet track's not a problem for her. To me, it was actually even better than it probably should have been. Um, I have no beef with it. I thought it was a perfect effort, and it makes me think that should she take a step forward? That That's the thing. I, to me, I look at these lengthy layoffs and say, check marks. She's proven that she can still run, can handle a wet track. She's not, you know, uh, crazy out there. Any, you know, it, she's, she's back to visually anyway, which she was when we last saw her. Now the next step or the next check on the box is the checkbox on the list is can you run faster? Can you get back to the races that you once were capable of performing? It sounds like it's the Fleur de Lee or depending on what happens in New York, the Ogden Phipps for her next start. I see no reason why either of those races she shouldn't be vying for favoritism depending on who shows up. I mean, she to me, she looked every bit as good in return as she did when we had last seen her, what, 18 months ago or however long it was. So uh, good to see Monomoy Girl back in the winter circle, back at the races just in general. Bellafina, another talented filly. Uh, she's an older horse now. She's matured a little bit more, I think. Um, I thought she had a perfect trip in the Desert Stormer. She sat off of blistering fractions out at Santa Anita. She's probably three or four lengths, three and a half lengths off of it. She was able to take over basically at will. And she won by a diminishing margin, but I think it was, you know, it was a 40 to one long shot that rallied from well off of it. And again, there were hot fractions for them to run at. So uh, from a number standpoint, she earned a 92 buyer. Not spectacular, but nothing crazy. You know, I mean, it's not like she was falling off the face of the earth. I think it's a competitive number. The the difficult thing for me with Bella Fina is I think it's pretty clear at this point she's a sprinter. She's a one-turn type of horse, whether it's seven-eighths of a mile, six furlongs. Six might be a little bit sharp, but six, seven, one-turn mile, something like that. That's what she is now. I just, I don't trust her. I still don't trust her. And the difficult thing is, to me, she's a, she would be a very intriguing prospect at five to one. She's never going to be five to one in any of these races. She's always going to be vying for favoritism. If she's in California, she's likely odds on. And at that kind of price, I just don't, I know that she's had issues in the past, whether it's a little bit slow out of the gate and just a number of different things. And it's not just sort of a, I, I can say this about many horses that at certain prices, they're interesting. And at certain prices, I don't want to touch them. And, you know, in races like this on Sunday, I, don't, I won't even be betting the race because she's probably going to win. But against better horses, she's the kind of horse at a short price, you know, let's just use the Philly and Mare sprint. And as awesome as she ran in that race last year, I'll take a shot against her if she's in a spot like that, especially because she's going to have to ship out of town away from Southern California. So Bellafina, the talent is, is, has never been a question. The talent's always been there. Just how reliable is she on the biggest stage? To me, I, I'm willing to take a shot against her. And it's nothing against the connections. I, I just It's one of those things. I just don't, at the certain price, from a gambling standpoint, she makes sense. And at a certain price, she makes all the sense in the world to steer clear of. So that's where I stand on Bellafina. Three horses that 
are worth mentioning. I'm going to just literally just mention two names that you can go do your own homework on. Uh, Big Sweep and Four Graces. Four Graces for Ian Wilkes at Churchill Downs. Big Sweep at Santa Anita from Mark Glatt. They both put up nice numbers. You can go and do a little bit more homework on your own. The, The last horse I will actually mention from a specific standpoint, from what I saw in the excitement level and the potential that I think there could be here, is a horse called Collusion Illusion. Collusion Illusion is a three-year-old for Mark Glatt. Hadn't seen him since September of last year in the American Pharaoh. It was his first time trying to go out to two turns. He was eased shortly into the race. Hadn't seen him since. Prior to that, I believe he won the best pal out down at Del Mar. Visually, he looked good. He comes back here, and I thought he was awesome beating older horses. I believe it was an N2X that he that he ran in. He was perched out in the clear. When Flavian Pratt told him to go, he went, and he leveled off, extended really, really nicely. His gallop out was enormous. The pedigree is there. The dam is a sibling to both Bahamian Squall and A Priority. A Priority sneaking one of my favorite horses. Always seemed to just couldn't quite get over the hump, but he, I, I just thought the talent was immense there. The number for collision, collusion, illusion, an 89 buyer speed figure. I mean, I, I just think this is a tremendously talented horse. I'm sure they're going to try to stretch him out because he, he deserves the opportunity to go out to two turns for one of these races. But if that doesn't work, boy, I think you've got a, a crack sprinter on your hands. If you haven't seen the tape, I would encourage you to go and find the replay of Collusion Illusions race from, I believe it was Sunday, maybe. can take a look. But Collusion Illusion, I thought was phenomenal. Winning his return to the races off of such a lengthy layoff. Uh, that was really, really impressive. Again, the gallop out was just smoking. was a huge, huge gallop out. And whether they, I'm, I'm sure they'll try to stretch him out. But if it doesn't work, boy, you can turn him back. And I love that he was able to rally against older horses from off the pace and finish the way that he did. Collusion Illusion, I think, is a name. I've already put him in my my watch mail. I don't know where he's going to show up next. But, boy, he looks, I think he looks very, very talented and very, very interesting going forward. So that's a little bit of this past weekend in racing. And maybe this will be on weeks where there aren't giant stakes races. Maybe this is kind of what the look at the races themselves will end up being a little bit of just a hodgepodge of let me take a look at some of the bigger performances maybe there are some interesting new shooters some new names that there you know people maybe aren't accustomed to hearing just yet um that i can touch on a little bit and, and go over a little bit more so um by the way with bellafina and collusion illusion don't have time form us ratings yet at the moment of this recording so that's why i didn't touch on those but um questions comments thoughts whatever the case may be other horses that maybe you were very very really taken by from this past week beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernier underscore matt that's going to wrap up episode 15 of the matt bernier show however you listen to this thing thank you for doing so again you have youtube make sure you subscribe you rate your review to all the podcasts whether it is the youtube channel for in the money or matt bernier whether it is on apple podcasts whether it is on whatever your android device situation is whether it's over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, Again, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever the case may be. Just rate, review, subscribe. goes a long, long way. Questions beneath the video player on YouTube. Let me know about your handicapping process, how you go through the races. Let me know if you're going to play along or what you think of the $100 challenge. Thank you again to everyone for all the input there. Um, And any other things that you want to see or hear on this podcast going forward, let me know. Next Monday is Memorial Day. Be safe. Don't do anything silly. Follow all the guidelines and things that are out there. Don't don't go crazy. Just do what 
we're all allowed to do and do it safely enough. Uh, there will not be a podcast on Monday. It'll be recorded next Tuesday. So maybe Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday, depending on how everything shakes down. But don't be alarmed if you don't see anything in your feed come up on Monday because I won't be recording it. It'll come up on Tuesday after next Monday's uh, holiday. So until next Tuesday, and I will be tweeting throughout this week, the, the news of where you can find the picks and the detailed analysis and things of that nature. I will be starting the $100 challenge this week. Uh, it'll all be over on Twitter, so keep an eye on that. That's where you'll be able to get sort of the, the headlines as far as that's concerned. And also, again, I will touch on that next week's pod. So, But until then, good luck this week. However you play, whatever you play, wherever you play, this has been episode 15 of the Matt Bernier Show.